Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Spurs win the North London derby, United come back from the dead again, Klopp is all smiles, Chelsea turn on the style and when did City get so good at defending? I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined this week by Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. This is going to be cathartic today, Lewis, I promise. (laughs) Who needs cathartic? Not me. <laughs> it was uh, it was very nice to see fans back in stadiums this weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> don't sound too enthusiastic. <laughs> I don't think I enjoyed anything. I no, saw this but I, I can understand. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised how much noise two thousand people are capable of creating. Actually, I think it's I think it says something about. I mean, we've all regularly been in big Premier League stadiums and experienced how loud they can be. I think it's sort of. Everybody's obviously making noise at the moment because they're lucky enough to be back in the grounds. Yeah. And do you not think usually sort of a, a City game, except the big ones, uh, or an Arsenal game, um, it's probably only about 2,000 people in the stadium actually bothering to make noise? That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very true. Anyway, let's crack on because we've got nine games to talk about today. And we'll start with the North London derby where Tottenham, of course, won 2-0 on Sunday. Lewis, we're going to talk about what this result means for Spurs. But first, I want to give you the floor and ask you how you felt about this game from Arsenal's perspective. Oh, not very good, Dan. I can imagine, I can imagine, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, obviously, uh, not used to going into a derby as sort of, as underdogs, let alone quite big underdogs. And that's exactly how it played out. And I don't, as as a fan, obviously, you're a little bit more close to it but I don't know about you guys watching the game as soon as Tottenham were ahead and uh, certainly as soon as they were 2-0 up I didn't really I didn't think there was any chance of Arsenal getting back Mm. into that no, I, I had sort of a funny feeling that Arsenal might turn up for this one because I, you know, I watched them against um, who did they play in the Europa League in midweek? I've forgotten now. Uh, Rapid Vienna. Yeah, well, I watched that game and they, they were good there, weren't they? Um, obviously playing a, a very different standard of opposition. I thought, oh, maybe they've sort of got got it together just in time to come out and perform. But yeah, straight from the from the off, you could see they weren't really at the races, were they? Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it was. Um, and it's been a similar story. A lot of the Europa League games have been all right, or at least better to watch. And then they get back in the Premier League, obviously much higher opposition. Uh, the standard's just a completely different level. And they seem to go inside themselves a little bit. And I don't think it's purely on ability. I think it's also, you know, application and mm. confidence and all of those things that we can't really measure or judge properly. It just seems to be completely gone and it's just vanished from the from pretty much every player on the pitch um, yeah. which is you, you did get to that point where you start to wonder how they how can they turn anything like that around yeah have we reached the point now where it's reasonable to ask whether this massive job came a bit too soon for Mikel Arteta I saw you tweeting something to that effect after the game yeah I think you had to you have to look at it and say that he was obviously hired with an enormous risk I think when you hire someone who's never done the job before you're hiring every every appointment's a big risk. You never know how it's going to work out and if the manager's going to get a tune out of out of the players. But when you have a, someone who's not been a manager before, it's sort of the the risk is much higher. The reward is a lot higher as well. Obviously, you can turn out to be an absolute genius and one of the next top coaches in the world, or it could turn out to be too much of a job for them. Um, so I think the the ceiling that when we appointed Arteta, like that was the hope. The ceiling was very high. Um, right now we're seeing that the floor might be quite low as well. <laughs> um, it's a hard job. It's a really hard job. Yeah. It's, I mean, Arsenal have been in decline for a few years now. Um, there's, for I'd say, probably three or four seasons, been no real obvious style of play, which I think all the top teams have. So it's also a matter of, where do you start? What do you do first? Do you have to focus on just getting results or do you have to try and implement a certain style? Um, and it's all a bit of a mess. And I think you, I mean, it's one win in seven Premier League games, Arsenal are 15th in the league. Obviously, at some point, you're going to have to have a discussion. And Arteta's not sort of in danger of losing his job this very second. But at the same time, you're looking at Arsenal got Burnley and Southampton in the next two games and then Everton and Chelsea after that. You mm. could be could quite easily imagine that it's one win in 11 Premier League games and you're looking at a possible relegation battle and then you sort of have to say, 
a decision one way or another that does have to be made. Mm. I, I kind of thought they should have gone for Arteta when they appointed Emery. And I wonder if they'd done that at the time, whether things might have gone a bit differently. You know, I think the Emery era has made people a little bit uh, more impatient for kind of quick success than they perhaps would have been if they'd appointed Arteta after Wenger left and they might have they might have been a little bit more leeway for him there. I also thought they should have gone for Patrick Vieira at the time and you know seeing how it's gone for him at Nice recently would suggest perhaps that wouldn't have been a great idea. So yeah. I mean Arsenal put in forty four crosses in this match. It's interesting that, that when things aren't going well Arteta seems to resort to the same tactics as Pep Guardiola who who loves to get his team spamming crosses into the box. Is there any madness uh, method to that madness, Lewis, or is it just panic football basically? <laughs> I think you're right the first time. There's definitely madness to the method. Um, yeah, I, I think it's... I don't know if it's panic. I, I think it's just a team without any ideas. Uh, Arteta's sort of not so quietly complained that he just doesn't have the players and the types of players that he'd like. Um, I think there's obviously some sort of Guardiola connection there as well. But, you know, City can sort of box teams in and get players on the edge of the box and get players down the flanks, especially you look a few years back and you had Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling get into the touchline and cutting the ball back or whipping something in. It's just nowhere near that quality at Arsenal right now. And there there aren't players in the box that are going to win the ball from across. It's not... Yeah, I mean, there's one playing in that sort of, what you might call in in the hole, the number 10 space. So we're not going to create chances that way. We can't create chances, apparently, no matter how many crosses we whip in. So you just sort of think, yeah, the impression I have anyway is that there's just sort of, there's no plan here. They've sort of run out of ideas and this is the most basic way that they might be able to try and score a goal. Mm. You mentioned the, uh, the the lack of a number 10 there. I'm not having all this talk about, oh, they should get Meza Ozil back. <laughs> like, he surely he is not the answer to the problems. Like, people just spent the last two years when he was in the team complaining that he wasn't good anymore. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, clearly a player is needed that can play in there. But, like, yeah, I mean, trust me, I'm very tired of that whole discussion and... <laughs> His contract's up at the end of the season. He's not going to get a new one, is he? So yeah, what, yeah. what are they going to? Even if they put him in there now and he's brilliant, he can't be registered anyway until January. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, even if Arsenal did do that now when he was brilliant and then we started winning games, I mean they're not going to give him a new contract. So it's a fix for four months, and then yeah. they're going to have to find a new one again anyway. The the answer there is that they should be signing somebody, and they should have in the summer already. But they really desperately need to sign someone to be Mesut Ozil's replacement of three years ago. Mm. And will Spurs one having just 30% possession, does this suggest that counter-attacking football's back in vogue, Joel? And, and does that therefore mean that possession players reach the end of its cycle for now? I mean, these things tend to run in cycles, don't they? Um, if you look down the years, you know, I sort of think back to Mourinho's first into Chelsea, you know, looking 04, 05 onwards. Also mixed with Rafa Benitez at Liverpool, it was a very defensive football and it, it, I don't think we actually called a counter-attack of football back then in terms of, you know, how effective it was, but that was the, the aim of the game back then. And then you, know, you, you sort of fast forward further to when Guardiola comes at City and that, that possession football is, is the is the one is the cool thing that's in, the flavour of the month. And then maybe maybe that process is changing now. If you know, if I sort of look at, you know, the top of the Premier League now and Spurs are very good at counter-attack football, Liverpool likewise and you know you know, as much as Leicester, I mean, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester has been known to love possession football. I think Leicester uh, are their best when they play counter-attacking football. So, so maybe it is something that is, you know, the the way the Premier League is going now. And as I, I, I don't know, Manchester United as well. They, they, they can't play anything else apart from counter-attacking football. So it's... So, so yeah, maybe maybe that's a cool thing to do now. <laughs> do you think I've seen a lot of people saying that Spurs? Um, oh, it's effective football, but I, I don't like watching it. Do you do you agree with that? Do you think it's ugly? Because I think it's quite nice to watch actually. I, yeah, I'm, I'm strange to hear that. I think I think that maybe that's a criticism of Mourinho that yeah. people maybe just just like to dab Mourinho with with calling them ugly. <laughs> but yeah. no, I I think it was great. I think their, their two goals they scored on, on Sunday were, were, were great. They, they are they are just clinical. Um, and, and Spurs this season have scored some, some fantastic goals, and they've also you know scored a lot of goals in, in a fair few games. You know they put you know five past Southampton, they scored sixes and sevens on, on occasion as well. Um, and so and, and that's <laughs> you know what that's what that's what we're in football for is to watch goals. <laughs> so that's good, that's good for me to watch. I'm not calling that ugly. It, it is, but I think you, what you used there is the right word is effective football, and, and that's what it is. And 
their last couple of games now where you know they played you know, Man City, Arsenal and Chelsea, they have gone back to that sort of we'll put men behind the ball and then we'll break and we'll hit you and, and it has been effective because they've not had the possession in, in, in any of those games but they've you know they come out there with seven points out of three games so it is effective and, and, and at times I, I think it is good to watch when they score goals so, yeah. yeah I got my fingers burnt with that kind of thing in the 2013-14 season I went to watch City play Chelsea and the City fans were singing Jose Mourinho your football is shite and <laughs> Chelsea scored as we were singing that song so it was a bit like <laughs> there you go that's what you get isn't it <laughs> um, the, the the link up play between Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son certainly isn't ugly to watch what is it about this partnership that makes it brilliantly so brilliantly effective do you think Joel? Dave Kane on another level now. I mean, they've always been fantastic players individually, and Harry Kane's always been that you know that world class level for a long time. And, and Son has been that kind of player who has always been great and always been effective. But there's always been you know that he can reach another level, and I think he's getting that there, that there now. Um, there that now. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, but I think what it is about them, and, and we've we've talked about Harry Kane's new position this year and how he's adapted his game to drop deeper. So we won't go into that too much detail now. But what that has done is it's allowed it's allowed Spurs to get the best out of Son as well because he's been able to get into more effective positions up front and has got more space to get into and. Both just ruthless, and I think that's what it is at work. They both know, they both have a good appreciation of space, and both know when to get into, you know, when to move to get into that space. Mm. And I think that's what that's what's getting them. But they're both just great at finishing. But <laughs> the goals they both scored on on Sunday are just classic textbook Son and Harry Kane goals, and it's, it's almost like you know Arsenal should see that coming and should be able to prevent it. But yeah. they're both that good at doing it. Then I guess that's maybe a bit harsh on Arsenal's defenders, but. Yeah, they bring. They are hitting. I think sort of uh, Sturridge and Suarez thirteen, fourteen levels of of form, and Ronaldo ruining the eight or nine levels of form, and that's the kind of form that gets you in the title race. So better than Henri and Bergkamp, Lewis. <laughs> um, I mean, let them win a couple of Premier Leagues first. <laughs> I'm bother to talk about it. Sound like Arsenal fan TV now? They, they're good though. They're obviously they're obviously great. I think Son. I've said on. I've said for a few years. Um, think whenever we've done the podcast around the North London Derby um, for a few years now that Son more than Kane for the last couple of seasons has been the one that scares me when he gets the ball um, and you, you see his goal and assist obviously at the weekend that's, that's why he's he's just brilliant and mm. I don't know if I've ever seen somebody who hits the ball so well with both feet um, which just makes him impossible to to defend, really. Yeah, um, he's incredible, isn't he? Yeah, but Harry Kane really needs to stop doing that thing where he backs into someone when they jump for a header, doesn't he? Yeah, it's like I think obviously, like you can say it's clever and stuff, and it, it, it's a huge advantage for him. You know, he puts someone off while they're heading the ball, and he's even a couple of times won a free kick himself for it. But it's so dangerous and people being knocked in midair it's, it's banned in every other sport it's banned mm. in American football it's banned in rugby it, because people can land and snap their necks like you know those sports where players are wearing way more protection than football um, American football especially obviously um, you know you're not allowed to hit someone when they're in midair and it doesn't take much when you know when you've jumped three or four feet into the air just a little nudge on the legs or the hips and you can't stop yourself from going over um, it's, and it is really, really dangerous. It's clever, and the rules allow him to do it, mm. I think. I mean, the refs certainly allow him to do <laughs> it. Um, it was a lovely, I mean, lovely, maybe not, but a, I thought a great video of uh, Fernandinho going around yesterday from a couple of years yeah, ago yeah. where he sort of, Kane did the same thing to him, but unlike everyone else this season, apparently, Fernandinho made sure he landed on Harry Kane. Left um, a bit of an elbow on him, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, with his knee and then with his elbow. And I, I did sort of see that and wonder, I wonder if Kane bothered doing it to him again. <laughs> and if a few more people did it, would he sort of stop doing it? It is just so dangerous. Um, and it's the sort of thing where like people will turn around and say, oh, but no one's, no one's got hurt, so it can't be that dangerous. It's like, well, would you like to outlaw it after somebody's broken their neck? <laughs> or should we try and do it first so that it doesn't happen? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen lots of people saying, oh, it's not just Kane. Loads of players do this. Do loads of players do it, Joel? Because I can't really think of anyone who does it. Uh, I've, I've seen it on a fair few occasions in the past. and Not not quite regularly, but 
I've seen plenty of strikers when you know when the ball's going into the air from like a goal kick, let's say, where they back into a defender and, and the defenders trying to reach over the top of them and then you know done exactly what Kane has done. Um, so yeah, it's not something that I've you know it's the first time I've seen it when Kane's done it, but and you know Kane's just been the one who's been caught regularly doing it and seems to be doing it every game at the moment, isn't it? So yeah, I, I agree with what they've said there. I do think it's something that you know, should be taken on and outlawed as soon as possible. Yeah. It is dangerous, yeah. yeah. I mean, all that said, I couldn't help think but while watching this game that Arsenal need a few sly bastards in their team. You know, Spurs have got Kane, they've got Heuberg. Arsenal are a bit too nice. Is that fair, Lewis? I think Arsenal were a bit too stupid. <laughs> I think, I don't, I don't, I mean, I think, um, I think that's sort of, there's been attempts to address that the past few years. Um, Granite Jacket springs to mind, Gabriel signed in the summer and, um, and Thomas Partey, obviously, as well in midfield. And I think there's, there were players, Lacazette's quite sly. But they they just do it so obviously, like yeah. a, a little a little knock or a little trip or you know they they just don't manage to disguise it at all. Mm. Um, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's <laughs> really really stupid. And the number of times when Lacazette's playing up front, the number of times Arsenal will sort of start to press someone and get themselves in a position where they might be about to nick the ball, when you think, oh, you know, a chance is on if they nick the ball here, and it'll just sort of clatter through the back of somebody, and it's like, well. What was all that work for then? <laughs> yeah. Do you think do you think a lack of leadership is Arsenal's biggest problem at the moment? I mean, what what's happened to Aubameyang since signing that contract? It's his performances have, have dipped massively, haven't they? I think it's a lack of ideas. Um, mm. I think I think Aubameyang has never been the type of player that, like, if you if you put it in like leadership terms, he's never been the guy that sort of will win the game and. F- off his own back and grab the game by the scruff of the neck. He's never going to go like, obviously Arsenal fans are used to watching Thierry Henry and then Robin Van Persie. And he's never going to go and take the ball off a, off a centre back or a holding midfielder and beat mm. three or four men and score a goal that way. Um, I have some sympathy for him, to be honest, because uh, he, he just can't win at the moment. He's getting absolutely no service. Mm. Um, which is as a striker, he's just a striker. You know, he's not a, a Firmino. He's not an Aguero who creates his own goals. A Firmino who creates goals for others. He gets on the end of things, um, and there's nothing to get on the end of. So I feel a bit sorry for him. And you know, he's usually smiling now. People are saying he looks fed up and like he doesn't yeah. care. It's like, well, would you rather him be smiling while we're not winning games? <laughs> or you know, it's yeah. Um, yeah, obviously your your star player signing a new contract and being on huge money, and he's the captain. It's and is an easy target, but I think that's exactly what he is. To be fair, I hate that when people psychoanalyze footballers. Oh, he looks like he's not interested. He looks like this. He looks like that. How do you know what he looks? Like? You, you have no idea, do you? <laughs> and you think how many times like somebody might like in that people will say that, and in that game the player will like almost score or hit yeah. the post or something. It's like oh, but if it goes in, what like literally another inch inside the post and then everyone's like oh what a goal yeah. he's, he's on the top of his game yeah yeah just nonsense <laughs> uh, Mourinho congratulating Arteta for how Arsenal played after the game it was great trolling I thought I, I, mean, I never thought I'd say this but I'm enjoying Jose this season it feels like his first stint at Chelsea again do you know what I mean by that Joel are you, yeah. enjoy, are you enjoying Jose again Absolutely not, no. Enjoy yeah. him. Enjoy him. That's what he's there no, for. It, it might affect my team in the league. So, um, <laughs> I, I want rid of him. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, for the fifth away game running, Manchester United came back from the dead, this time to win 3-1 at West Ham on Saturday evening. I saw a few tweets after this game along the lines of, if United were consistent, they'd be a hell of a team. But isn't that the whole point, Lewis? They're not a hell of a team because they aren't consistent? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, yeah, if they'd be great. If they won every game, they'd be top of the league. Oh, day. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they scored more goals, they'd win a lot more games, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, that's just Man United now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can a team be so bad for 65 minutes and so good for 25 minutes, Joel? They had three shots in the first half, 12 in the second. I can't really recall seeing anything like it before. I think it's a perfect representation of Manchester United and the illegal structure. They will be abysmal for, you know, a run of games and then they'll go and produce a sudden performance where they couldn't put three or four past the team and then go on a bit of a run and then that same thing will happen. They'll, they'll have another run of poor games coming around the corner because they are, like, the point you just made, they are shockingly inconsistent. Um, I, I just think it's dead weird. I, I can't put the thing on what they're about. Um, where, because, to be honest, I was surprised that West Ham 
didn't get away with this game and, and then you know go and make it 2-0 and, and see it out because it, it had the ingredients of, of that kind of game. A bit, a bit like sort of like Southampton last weekend where Southampton really should have ran away with that and, and, and won it because United were horrific for the first half of that game and mm. then go and do what they do. It's, it's just strange, but I guess, you know, Solskjaer's going to be loving it because all he wants to be is he wants to be Alex Ferguson and United were a bit like this under Ferguson <laughs> where they were poor and they did go down to one or two nil away from home and then, then pull it back. So I think Solskjaer's bursting with pride and brimming with pride over this. Well, you see that he was saying, uh, oh, we always like to make things hard for ourselves at United. And that Duncan Alexander from Opta tweeted that they've taken the lead more than any other Premier League team in Premier League history. <laughs> so it's just complete nonsense, that, yeah. Can't argue with facts. <laughs> I mean, do you think, Lewis, it's a case of them having good players who sometimes get results in spite of their manager, or, or is there a bit more to it than that? I think that's largely it. Mm. Um, I think they've, I think now, like, we're obviously talking there about um, counter attacking football. And I think the possession stuff now teams are so much more. You watch games from the nineties or clips from from the early two thousands. You got teams like playing against Arsenal with Thierry Henry defending on the halfway line, <laughs> and like you know by by the time it, Henry had left Arsenal, teams are defending on the edge of their own box, and that's mm. obviously you you two support Man City and Liverpool. That's what you see every week. That's yeah. all you see every week is teams come and they defend on the edge of their own box. And I think it's just really really hard to to coach a team that breaks that down and doesn't leave itself completely exposed on the break at the same time. And I think that's that's probably the hardest thing in, in football management right now. And I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can do it. Mm. So when we see when United have, when a game's open, when they're playing on the break in, in one of their bigger games against a bigger team, they're fine. They can be, they can be the one often that will sort of sit back or, or press a little bit higher sometimes and nick the ball. But sit back and then break into space and you've got Fernandez and Pogba playing the ball and you've got Rashford and Martial breaking through. And yeah, I just think that's sort of, that's sort of the easy part of football nowadays. Um, whereas actually coaching a team properly to, to break teams down and not get caught out on the break... They just they just can't do it or not consistently enough anyway to to actually compete. Mm. Um, and to me, that's all on the manager because I think they've got the players more or less to do that. Yeah. I mean, well, one of those good players is Bruno Fernandes. You mentioned him there. He started on the bench and completely changed the game when he came on. Do you think United are a bit over-reliant on him, Lewis? Or, or I mean, aren't all teams over-reliant on their best player to some extent? Yeah, I, like that's the those are the two sides of the coin, aren't they? I mean... You want your, that's why he's your best player. You need him on the pitch, but you need to, I think it's indicative of a team that doesn't have many ways to attack, uh, or many ways to win. And you do sort of wonder where anything's going to come from when, when he's not on the pitch, especially if it was all right at the weekend. But if Pogba's not on his game, if Martial's struggling to get in the, it's like, well, where's any sort of inspiration going to come from then? Mm. Well, poor Pogba as well. He scored a brilliant goal to equalise here. He was saying afterwards that one-touch football is United's recipe for success going forward. Do you think there's something in that, Joel? I mean, it's good work if you can get it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I always think, you know, Arsenal, that the famous Arsenal team, is sort of like the Invincibles and, and, and teams that won titles at, you know, the Highbury. They were famous for playing one-touch football and were very good at doing it. You know, Manchester City for an ex- to an extent, maybe, but you know, it's you've got to have a certain level of te- you know, technical players, you know, and uh, players of high ability to be able to pull that off and, and, and great movements. And essentially, sitting in Manchester United can, can do it, but to be able to do it, you've got to be able to accept that you, you, you're going to lose the ball sometimes as well and, mm. and be able to get back into position quick enough to do it and, and have you know, maybe fast defenders and, and defenders of a certain ability to be able to cut. Cape cope with the the negative effect of that when when you, you get you get broke on and I don't think United have got those defenders to be able to do that exactly so you know but you know, poor Papa's and, and his agents are, are saying a lot of things. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it seems there should have been a throw in to West Ham in the build up to United's first goal with Solskjaer even admitting that the ball went over his head on the touchline. So why isn't that considered cheating when someone does something like that when they only admit after the game that oh yeah yeah it definitely went out that yeah. <laughs> it's the referee, the assistant linesman, assistant referee linesman, and it's VARs. 
job to be able to tell that. It's not mm-hmm. Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer or the opposition managers. You know, for the manager who, who benefits from the goal, it's not his job to be able to, to say that. I mean, you know, the internet loves shit shithousery, doesn't it? So I'd ban him for unsportsmanlike behaviour, personally. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so would I. But I mean, if he ain't clotted it, I wouldn't. So, um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not his job. You know, he's, you know, his job's on the line if, if Manchester United lose that game. So, he, if he managed to benefit from a goal from it, he probably expected VAR to, to be able to find that the ball had clearly gone out. The, the, the ball was basically in the Stratford uh, shopping centre by the time it had gone through, so it's, he probably expected VAR to be able to pull that back, so it's, it's not his job. Well, uh, I mean, apparently they, they don't have the technology to, to check those things at the moment. Do you think that's that's the next stage in the evolution, that we have touchline technology? Just put a camera on the line, isn't it? Uh, well, you'd think <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or have the linesman actually looking at the ball, that would probably help as well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it really doesn't seem like it should be that hard, does no, it? Just no. to stick a camera. How many cameras are in Premier League stadiums and they've not just, nobody's thought they should just stick one on the line just in yeah. case. Well, yeah, I watched Match of the Day and they sort of showed a, a graphic where they've showed how the ball have gone out and they go, yeah, but this technology isn't available to the VAR. Well, like, why not? It, it can't be that hard if Match of the Day can do it. Like, you know, so, yeah. Um, there's lots of talk before this game about David Moyes finally getting his revenge for being sacked by United all those years ago. Does the way this game panned out suggest that while he isn't a terrible manager, United were right to get rid of him, Lewis? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any debate to be had there. Um, I think he's, his time at United proves that United were right to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. um, he's doing a good job this year. and yeah. I don't think, I certainly didn't expect it. I don't think a lot of people probably didn't. Um, so credit to him, but yeah, there are yeah, and you know you wouldn't you wouldn't put Sam Allardyce in charge of Man City. There are managers that are good for certain size clubs or jobs. Um, and David Moyes actually had a bit of a rough time, obviously after leaving United, and he tried to go abroad, and he went to Sunderland, which was always sort of fighting against the tide for years. That's like anyone who was in the, in the Sunderland job, and uh, you do wonder if it's just sort of. You know, he's a manager for an Everton sort of club and mm. West Ham, even though they haven't been over the years, probably should be an Everton sort of club. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think uh, Saeed Banrama's been used so sparingly, Joel? Do you, do you think it's time he got a few starts now for them? Quite potentially, because he's, he's got potential to be a phenomenal player. I and mean, he has affected games when he has come on already for West Ham. I think maybe what it is is that, you know, Moyes just like his team to be disciplined. And although they're not completely, you know, Ultra defensive kind of team. They do sit back and and, and, and hit you. And I think uh, Pablo Fornells and Jared Bowen, who are potentially playing where Ben Rama could play, I think are just maybe a bit better at getting back in position and, and maybe you know tracking back and working a bit harder. But Ben Rama's only just arrived there, really, you know, only recently. So mm-hmm. it's maybe they're just getting them trained enough to be able to to do that bit as well. Because at, at Brentford, he was you know, he's part of a, a very attacking progressive team, and maybe didn't have to do that work as much. So. It's maybe maybe just getting them used to the way West Ham play before we see him, but I think there's a player there, and I think we could be talking about him a lot by the end of the season. So you know, just have to wait and see on that one. Mm. Uh, well, with fans back at Anfield, Liverpool robbed to a four nil victory over Wolves on Sunday evening. Joel, I can't imagine you were expecting this to be quite so comfortable, were you? No, I I actually thought it was a bit of a banana skin, especially after mm. what he did to Arsenal a couple of weeks ago, and I, I thought you know I wouldn't be surprised if, if Wolves get something out of that but I'm not sure it was quite as comfortable as 4 nil suggested especially the first half uh, and Wolves probably had a bit of a better game in the first half to be honest and Pedence tries to chip uh, Kelleher which yeah. uh, is a fantastic save but it's a great idea by Pedence and that could go either way and I, I think there was know, that we, one with Adama Traore when he sort of broke through and flashed yeah. across across goal as well, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah, if someone takes a gamble there, Wolves go one 0 up, and mm. we we do get the goal sort of out the blue, the first goal, and then I think in the start of the second half, Wolves aren't too bad either. But then we get the second, and that just kills it. It's, mm. We we do make it look a bit easy by the end, but I, I, Wolves are very much in this game, and but, but Liverpool just you know just on that have a level where they can take games away from teams. Mm. former Liverpool season ticket holder Connor Cody making a rare error for the first goal one for the conspiracy theorist perhaps Lewis everything's for a conspiracy theorist I think (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I mean you know I think Joel's one to answer that (laughs) yeah Joel answer it 
he had quite the game, didn't he? <laughs> he did. He was everywhere, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he, he? He tried to dive to win a penalty as well. Yeah, it's um, well, fair play, coach. Nice one. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about the the penalty. That decision got correctly overturned by VAR, but you must have been thinking, "Here we go again." When you saw that, wasn't you? When I first saw it, the first, you know, in real time, the angle that we get on the tally, I, I honestly thought it was a penalty. Yeah. I'm thinking, why, why is Sadio Mane trying to overhead kick in the opposition box? Mm. Um, and I, I just thought, yeah, that, that's that's got it. But then obviously, it, it took a fair few angles before we saw that you make no contact at all. So, so, so yeah, a bit. But I think this is, this is just it. VAR, you know, these things can even themselves out, and it has done this time. Obviously, Liverpool have been burned by it this season. Last season, they weren't, but you know, this season they have been, and I think this is probably the first, maybe the second that's, that's gone in our, in our favour. So it's yeah, it's it's done its job this time for us. We can we can you know be happy about it this week. Mm. I mean, I, I know what you're saying there, but you you could you could rightly argue that all of the decisions that have gone against Liverpool this season with VAR have been correct by the letter of the law. And that one, there was no contact made, so it definitely wasn't a penalty if, and it was right to do I that, wasn't it? If I were Andy Robertson, I would simply not boot Danny Welbeck. Right, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to argue, Matt. You know my opinions on VAR and you know my opinions on all the instances I've gone against Liverpool. I, I'm with you. I think, I think the right decision has been reached in each of them. Apart from the Andy Robertson one. Let's <laughs> Going back to the Cody one, are we classing that as a dive, Lewis? And are we perhaps all a bit guilty of not making a big song and dance about it because he's English? Because he's one of our brave boys. He's, yeah, it's been a very long time that like that. That's been a problem, hasn't it? Stephen Gerrard loved the ground, and Wayne Rooney and Ashley Young used to go down as easy as anyone else in the league. But yeah. you only get branded a diver if you're not from England, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Um, yeah, English players just aren't built that way, Dan. No. They're, they're tough. They're <laughs> Honest. <men>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all a bit embarrassing, really, isn't it? Um, not Cody himself. Like, he's he played the game that everybody play, uh, plays. But the fact that we sort of continue to have this society or this this moment in football where we pretend that it doesn't happen with mm. English players is just absolutely mad. You didn't have to be a lip-reading expert to see Jordan Henderson calling Cody a cheat after that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second goal for Liverpool was a beauty from Gini Wijnaldum. Is it fair to say he's been one of Liverpool's best players, if not their best player this season, Joel? Yeah, I think if Liverpool's player this season award was was tomorrow, it'd be a fight between him and Andy Robertson. Um, he's been brilliant and... and it, what Wijnaldum does and what has it, what he has done over the last couple of years when they've been successful is, you know, he's been very good at cutting past the lanes and, and maybe doing a bit of the dirty work while you know, to, to allow locals from free to flourish. And I think this year he's taken on more responsibility because we've had injuries, we, we've not had you know, the captain in, in in the team, and we've not had you know Thiago being able to get into the to get into a fitness to to be able to play um, and regularly. So it's. You know, especially recently, my album's played. I think five games over the last eleven, twelve days, something like, maybe a bit longer than that, fourteen days, something like that. Um, and his his energy is incredible because I, you know he has looked look like he should be dead on his feet, but then he, he goes into you know nineteen ninety first minute, so he's making long bursts and runs into <laughs> the box. I, I think he's been great, and I, I think he's been an unsung hero of Liverpool's team in the last couple of years. And it's nice to maybe see and get a bit more praise now and. He's, he's just yeah it's it's just whether you know we do see him at Liverpool next season yeah what, what's the latest on his contract situation then I am um, so the thing is with Wijnaldum he, you know his contract is up at the end of the season um, and it does look like he, that he would be leaving I mean it's he's still on the same contract that he was when he signed Liverpool so that's reported to be about £75,000 a week around that area so he's probably one of the like, 16th, 17th highest, place play, high, highest paid players in the squad, um, or lowest, whatever way you want to look at it. So <laughs> it's, it's maybe, that's maybe wants a bit more money and probably deserves, the state deserves a bit more money. But Liverpool aren't going to be giving a big amount of money to a player who's you know, you know, coming to the wrong side of 30 or will be in a couple of years. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of them. And he also, I think... I think one of the issues that people report with Wijnaldum is that he wants to play in sort of position he plays for, for ne- to Netherlands where he can be sort of attacking eight or number 10 and get into the box a bit more. And he's not been playing that role for Liverpool. And 
it's testament to his ability that he's able to play both roles very well for mm-hmm. his club and country. Uh, but I think if he goes to maybe, you know, the strongest link is Barcelona. And, you know, if Ronald Koeman is still there, which I don't think he will be, but <laughs> if he is, then it's, you know, Wijnaldum can probably play a bit more of an attacking role. And so I, I think at the end of the day, I, I think both, you know, there is still from both sides uh, and um, a taste to get an agreement done. But I think Wijnaldum will be leaving Anfield. And, and fair enough, he's won the league in Champions League, so he goes with everyone's blessing. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be mad to leave Liverpool for Barcelona in this day and age, personally. But uh, yeah, yeah we'll see what happens, I guess. Uh, Jurgen Klopp didn't even start Diogo Jota against his old club. I believe that's what's known as a flex. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned the Liverpool goalkeeper earlier, Joel. Are you able to pronounce his full name? Um, I'll give it a go. Quivin Kelleher. Quivin, yeah. I, yeah I'd never heard that name before in my entire life. It's essentially the Irish way of saying Kevin. Right, is, uh, okay. Just called him Kevin. But yeah. Um, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite the name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, how highly do you rate him? And do you think this is the end of Adrian now? Must um, be, right? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> not, I, I'm not sure in terms of Gallagher's ability uh, or his potential because I'm actually quite surprised he's, he's, he's doing as well or he, he's taking to the role quite well because the under 23s, he's, he's conceded seven against Man City's under 23s before before the game against Ajax last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's always looks like he, you know he's got a shot stop and he's always on the ball, but he's. He's not quite as commanding, and, and I know he's only twenty-two, but I, I don't know. I he's not quite as full out as a goalkeeper should be, but he's he's done, he's done great so far. The save makes, you know, like we mentioned against Pedence, was was brilliant mm. on on Sunday. But in terms of your second question, I really hope it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't the seven-two against Aston Villa that done it for Adrian. Um, we actually played Ajax a couple of games after that, and um, within the first couple of minutes, he gets a pass back, which is which is going towards Joe Gomez and. Gomez should clear it and Ajan just comes out and just barges into Gomez and, and clears it and all you see Gomez is going what are you doing <laughs> I, th- I think after that everyone's head just got lost with yeah. and that's it I suppose the thing with Kelleher is that you know he's it's all going very very well for him so far but it only takes sort of one mistake a young lad like that his confidence yeah. might take a big hit and then yeah. you know you're in trouble but when's um, Alisson due back from injury? There's been still a couple of weeks I think right. so but um, so we'll, we'll have to see I mean, we've got spares coming up and Hopefully, I'm back for that, but mm. that's not unlikely. Yep, Alex and I were talking last week about Wolves' expectation for the season. Do you think this game was a good placement test for them in that they're superior to the Arsenal's of this world, but still a long way behind the Liverpool's, Lewis? Ouch. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Got a few more digs as the show goes on, so brace oh, no, yourself. Uh... Good. Um, <laughs> I've put my shin pads on. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think that's... It, it was a free hit for Wolves. Um, if they go to Anfield and they get something out of the game, then great. If they go to Anfield and they come away like they have, then yeah, sure, that can happen to anyone at Anfield. And if Wolves aren't in Europe next season or aren't around maybe the Champions League race, which looks incredibly tight towards the end of the season, it's not going to be because they're losing games at Anfield. So I think they'll be perfectly fine with what happened uh, on Sunday night. Mm. It was an interesting game at Stamford Bridge on Saturday night as Chelsea came from behind to beat Leeds 3-1. First question on this game is, am I the only one who'd totally forgotten that Patrick Bamford played for Chelsea? He's played for everyone else. I know, yeah. That's, that's probably why I'd forgotten. It seems so long ago that he's played for about 20 different clubs since then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was Timo Werner up to with that missed chance on the line, Joel? Oh, I think you have to ask Timo. Um, <laughs> why didn't he just I, stop I, it in the first place? It was going in, wasn't I don't, it? It was, it was great defensive work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't understand what he's doing. It's, it's, it reminds me of when, of when I try and change my, my bedding. Um, when, you know, all the bits are there. They all fit perfectly, but it's just really difficult to get a spot <laughs> on. And it, it, you just tangle yourself into a, to, to a web. <laughs> and it, it, just, it, it just blew my mind. I don't understand what he was, what he was doing. He just made me just overthinking it because he's not in the, the best of form. <laughs> yeah, bedding is a tough one, actually. I get my girlfriend to do that for me. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> re- really tricky. Um, after scoring four goals against Sevilla in midweek, it was Olivier Giroud who got the equaliser on his first Premier League start of the season. Uh, Gary Lineker described him as the most underrated striker in the game. Do you agree with that, Lewis? I think over the past looking at, what, seven, eight years now, then quite possibly. I mean, he's France's second all-time top goal scorer now. Yeah. Um, didn't make his international debut till he was, um, I think, 26. 
Uh, it, yeah, I think Giroud is is brilliant, and he's particularly brilliant when he feels wronged or <laughs> like he has something to prove. Um, I think he has all of the hallmarks of a a man who you you would not want to cross, mm. but also a man that raises his game to another level when he when he feels like he has been crossed and. It happens every year, it feels like. He doesn't play for a while. Deschamps starts talking about if he doesn't start playing, he'll, he won't get in the France squad or he should go and look somewhere else for regular football. He gets a chance and he scores four goals in a Champions League game. And, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he scores on his first Premier League start of the season as well. It's just absolutely classic Giroud. Um, he Chelsea's problem will be when he started seven or eight games in a row and then he's the first choice striker and he doesn't really have to fight for that anymore. He just takes his game to another level. Um, he's such an intelligent player and mm. I think that they'll probably in the long run, I think Tammy Abraham's brilliant, but I think in the long run Chelsea will get more out of Kai Havertz and out of Timo Werner than they have been getting in the in the league if Giroud's the one starting up front with them. Mm. Do Arsenal miss him, do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think anyone who once had Olivier Giroud but no longer has Olivier Giroud misses him. Oh, you made me feel a bit sad now. Uh, well, <laughs> just <laughs> one for the Montpellier fans. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Well, what made me a bit happier was N'Golo Kante playing well and he was excellent in this game, playing in that more familiar defensive midfield role. Do you think Lampard will take note of that going forward, Joel? And, and why has there ever been any talk about him leaving Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, it's a strange one, Kante, because he doesn't seem to have been playing in that role for a fair few seasons now, because, you know, when when Mauricio Sarri came in, he sort of moved Jorginho into that position, and Kante has to move a bit further forward, and Lampard hasn't quite done it yet in terms of moving him back. I think, obviously, he does it on, on Saturday night, and yeah, he's brilliant, and Kante has tried to adapt his game in terms of being a bit better going forward, and, and contributing with a few more passes, forward passes and, and goals, and he, yeah, but Kante is probably the best in the world at doing what what he did at Leicester and he did the first season at Chelsea. And but I can understand why there have been talk of Kante leaving Chelsea because if he's not you know being used in his right position, then maybe he's unhappy doing it. And I think Kante could probably still get into any team in the world, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's good to see him doing it. It just makes the most perfect sense of him doing it because then it frees up your, your likes of you know Kovacic and, and Mason Mount to to go and do their bits and do their business further forward. Yeah. Kurt Zuma scored again here. That means he scored four goals this season, which is more than any other Arsenal player. That's another dig. Sorry about that, Lewis. Ian <laughs> <laughs> um, Paveda had a, could have had a penalty at 2-1 if he'd gone down, but he stayed on his feet. It's a really silly way to apply the rules, isn't it, Lewis, that you have to fall on the floor for it to be a penalty. It's ridiculous. And then people moan that players dive and... It's like, you know, as I remember someone saying once that they, they don't dive, they exaggerate contact. Uh. <laughs> um, but it's the only way to actually get a penalty. Mm. Um, you see, and, and then this, you know, you'll have players as well that get kicked, but then they'll sort of, people, they'll go down maybe a couple of steps later. And, oh no, he's gone down too late. It's like, well, <laughs> he, he was kicked. It, it shouldn't matter, should it? Um, gone down in installments. That's some of my favourite football cliches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like his bid for the dive on football manager. Um, yeah, it, it, it just it's it's on the refs and it's on the the officials who've obviously got the the video at their at their disposal now to say no, actually wait, that is a foul, even if a player's not gone down. And as long as that doesn't happen, then you are going to have a problem with with players diving and maybe taking the mick a little bit and going a bit too far because there's nobody actually giving them fouls when they don't. Well, when they do stay on their feet. Do mm. you think uh, Leeds' biggest weakness is their goalkeeper, Joel? Elian Melier? He was a bit, bit iffy here. He's always, often a bit iffy when I watch him. Do you think he's good enough for them? I, I'm not sure I could go on record on this because I feel like I'm the only one who sees something in him. Um, I was, you know, I was watching watching the game on Saturday with a few people and, and, and everyone was, everyone else in the room was, you know, a few people in the room were, Criticising him and saying he's garbage, and and, and I thought, oh no, it's all right, you know. And then and it's not an opinion that is shared by many. It seems I I, I think he's a great shot stopper. I'm not quite sure of the ability on the ball, but you know, not every goalkeeper can be Edison or Alison Becker. Um, 
But I, if, I think he makes some great saves on Saturday. Um, still I there enough for one? And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've seen him make some some great saves in other games as well. I'm not, I'm not particularly sure he is. You know, you know a weakness and. Um, but I, I don't know if I'm just being blindsided here, mm. and, and, and maybe I, I should not put that on record. <laughs> maybe I'm being blindsided by the fact that he looks like a nine-year-old boy in, a, in a, <laughs> an adult's body, and that's probably what's putting me off. Yeah. French Jordan Pickford. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Man City remain in touching distance of the league leaders after they won 2-0 against Fulham on Saturday. The first goal was a nice one from Raheem Sterling, but he seemed to dive a bit for the penalty for the second. I mean, we've just talked about how players have to go down, exaggerating contacts, but Sterling has a bit of a reputation for simulation. Do you think that's fair, Lewis? I think Sterling straddles that line between <laughs> between going down to sort of bring contact to the ref's attention if we can put it that way mm. and maybe also going down sometimes when there's not really enough to warrant a foul mm. um yeah i mean but it's it's just how the game is played and i think maybe we all just need to get over it a bit yeah. but it's obviously a little bit annoying when you've got the video and then because players will stay on their feet things that look like quite clear fouls aren't given and then fouls that aren't really fouls do get given because a player goes down because there was like minimal contact and we zoom in and watch it in slow motion 10 times. Um, yeah, so like I think I think he does deserve a little bit of his reputation, but I also don't think he's much worse than pretty much any other winger in the league. No, well he's won 20 penalties now, which is the most by a single player in Premier League history. It's perhaps... Uh tells you a lot about him but uh but yeah there you go good 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 goal for the first one let's that's, just leave it that's at that. another thing that's <laughs> another thing though as well though isn't it like i've seen people complaining like oh well, we've all complained for a very long time about man united getting penalties um but i saw someone like pull up a stat the other week about man united penalties compared to arsenal penalties in the last 12 months or whatever and it's just like yeah but arsenal don't get in the box and they don't <laughs> run at, they don't run at players and yeah. and sort of you know, Sterling's a player that he gets in the box and he takes three or four t- tiny touches where other players might take one or two and knock it ahead of themselves. And he's just sort of, I think that's on the defender then to to make sure that they don't get, you know, sucked in and take the bait. Yeah, true that, true that. Well, City now have the joint third best defensive record in the Premier League this season. I would not have imagined that after the 5-2 defeat to Leicester. It can't all be down to Ruben Diaz. So do you think we owe Guardiola some credit for his defensive coaching, Joel? Because there there was a lot of criticism around the time of the Leicester game that he doesn't coach his defence properly and all that kind of thing. So he must be doing something right. Yeah, I I guess he does. City have been sort of vulnerable at the back for, for some time. and So maybe, you know, Ruben Diaz does come in and, and City suddenly look a bit stronger and, and look a bit more balanced at the back. So I can see why suddenly everyone can put that down to Ruben Diaz. But, you know, if we all know Guardiola like we do, he loves proving people wrong and being prickly. And, you know, it's. I do remember also when Brendan Rodgers got criticised at Liverpool for not coaching his defence and then suddenly we went on a run of seven or eight clean sheets consecutively and he brings out a little quip where he goes... Oh, I don't need to, to get that defensive coach then, do I? Because I'm all right myself. So <laughs> I can imagine Guardiola coming up with something like that in, in, in the very near future. But City looked great defensively recently, and I'm not surprised to hear that they've got you know that the high up on you know in terms of the record. So it's it's great. But I I do I really do think Diaz has made a massive difference. And as much as Guardiola is probably doing some work on the coaching field. Sign someone like that who is sort of right in right away and, and is doing as well as he is. Oh, it, it, like Van Dijk at Liverpool, it, it can have such an effect on the team. Mm. Well, it's, it's dropping our Merrick Laporte that's been the big difference, mm. I think. <laughs> four, <laughs> four games with the, they've kept a clean sheet with him without him now, which is. Pretty bizarre because he's our best defender, or, or was anyway. Yeah, um, Pep has been a vocal supporter of the five subs thing, but he didn't make a single sub in this game. Do you think that completely undermines his argument, Lewis? Yes, <laughs> I, I found it really weird as well. It's not the only, he's not the only one. Klopp last week, I think, in the Champions League game, um, obviously had five subs available to him in the Champions League after going off at one at, mm. on BT Sport, and I think he only used one, and mm. it's just a bit like. They're, they're saying that they only care because of player welfare reasons and that's what has to be the priority, which I think is absolutely fair. Mm. Um, and after that Brighton game, Klopp complained. I think James Milner went off injured. A couple of uh, a Brighton player or two went off injured and he said, you know, this wouldn't be happening if we had the subs and we could take them off before the injuries were happening. 
But then to have five subs last week and not use them, for Guardiola to not use his subs at the weekend, it's a bit like, well, then is player welfare actually your priority mm. or is it only your priority if the result isn't on the line? Yeah, and yeah. In which case it's not your priority, is it? Um, so I'm quite, it's quite disappointing, I think, because um, it's not often we see all the managers at the top clubs all agree about something. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's quite a compelling argument that they make that we should reintroduce the five subs but then when they're not using them they really are <laughs> well they're not even like using three subs then no yeah. exactly yeah, like yeah. they really like you say they're they're really undermining their arguments yeah yeah i think city have, well city have got marseille in the champions league on wednesday i suspect he'll probably pick a completely different 11 for that one and the players that played against fulham will all get a rest but yeah it was a, f- a very strange thing to do when you're trying to get this ruling passed isn't it yeah yeah especially like Guardiola, I think, has faced with like Phil Foden over the past few years. A bit of criticism that he's not maybe introduced young players enough mm. or quickly enough when they, they might be ready at City. And it's just a bit like, well, you know, I don't know, Harwood, Bellis or something. Like, have them on the bench when you're yeah. home against Fulham and then give them 20 minutes when you're 2-0 mm. up. What, like, it's only going to be good for the, for the young players to get those minutes as well. Yeah. And then if there are injuries in the later, in, later on in the season, you might find themselves relying on them too. Yeah, especially someone like Foden, who's like you know gagging for minutes all the time. Yeah. He's he's not going to get injured, is he? <laughs> he'll he'll just love to come on and run around like a, a stray dog yeah, or something. I yeah. don't, like you can't imagine he was keeping Foden fresh for the dead robber in against Marseille. Yeah. Like he just said like there's there's no reason to keep players back for that game. Yeah. So, well, it's the Manchester derby at Old Trafford on Saturday. Knowing what we know about both teams, how do you see that one going, Joel? City to go tunnel up at half time, United to come roaring back in the second <laughs> half and win, probably, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, let's not see Stokeshaw's face on that one. Oh, yeah. um, considering Man City's record at Old Trafford in recent years, I think it's, it's got City doing a job all over them, to be honest. I think and I'm, I'm not quite sure how they will do it, whether they might be a bit more sort of um drawn back than usual, maybe, or maybe not as gung ho as usual Man City, but I, I do find I think Man City will clearly win that and, and very comfortably as well, to be honest. I just and I think Man United are clever enough to, to be able to, to outwit them. Solskjaer is not clever enough to outwit Pep Guardiola. So, mm. so yeah, I think Dan, you'll be having a very nice weekend. I hope you're right, mate, but I'm <laughs> sceptical about that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Burnley held Everton to a 1-1 draw in Saturday's early kickoff. Everton made a terrible start to the game and it was a pretty poor goal to concede. I think it's fair to say that Allen and Decore haven't been in the best form lately, Joel? Yeah, it's a strange one because they they were great to start the season and, and Everton go and win their you know the first four games and, and Allen and, and Decore especially you know were, were part of that they they were they were great and I just think that Everton have remembered that they are Everton and they, um, <laughs> I think that's their biggest problem I don't think it's anything else I think it's anything tactical they just remembered that they are Everton you know they they released a you know a song about. And one of the lyrics in that song was how they don't know the meaning of losing. And I think since that <laughs> song has gone viral, they've lost a lot of games. Thank <laughs> 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 you. Go shoot before you speak. Uh, I guess so, yeah. But they did soon equalise in this game through Dominic Calvert-Lewin, of course. Uh, he's now scored 19 non-penalty goals since Ancelotti took over, which is more than anyone else in the Premier League. And he's got more goals from inside the box than any player in Europe's top five leagues this season. It's almost a bit of a shame that he has Harry Kane ahead of him at international level, isn't it, Lewis? It's a shame for him, yeah, and and it's a shame for him that this, the start of this season, say, wasn't the start of last season instead. Because I think the last season, the season before, there were times that Kane was struggling for a bit of form, maybe wasn't fully fit, and Calvert Lewin could have had a real run at sort of regularly starting for England. It, it's great for England, though. Yeah, like, on the, the other side of the coin, Harry Kane. Dominic Calvert Lewin, Jaden Sancho, and Raheem Sterling, and Marcus Rashford, like the absolute embarrassment of Richards, Jack Grealish. If Gareth Southgate can't get a tune out of him, then he might be in a lot of trouble yeah, next summer. Yeah. Uh, well, it was England's number one versus England's number two in this game. Who do you think came out on top, Joel? Did we call the second goalkeeper number two? I don't know if I we, do, we do, do we? I think we do, um, which is nonsense. Yeah. Kyle Walker's England. It should be England's two. number twelve, shouldn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, or thirteen. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, Joel. <laughs> um, I, I guess Nick Pope, to an extent, he made you know, made some a lot you know better saves, but I guess he was being tested more than Pickford. It's 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 a difficult sort of difficult comparison and difficult you know situation for Southgate to have because I think Pope is clearly the better shot stopper, and, and you know. 
better at a fair few things than Pickford, but I think Pickford's just a bit better on the ball. And well, I'm sure you'll see a lot better on the ball than, than, than the Pickford's, and I think that's what Gareth Southgate wants in his goalkeeper to be able to sort of start attacks from the back. And, you know, I, th- I think Jordan Pickford's having a season, or he's having maybe a fair 18 months, let's say, where he's not in the best of form and, and shouldn't really be England's number one or, you know, or first choice, should we say. And, but I, I don't know if Nick Pope or, you know, the, the, the cavalry behind him are, are doing enough to sort of, you know, to outmuch him. But I think Pope's a very good goalkeeper, but he's, he's good at being a goalkeeper for Burnley, who defend their own six-yard box and, and are there. And I think if, he, if he's being exposed more, which, you know, maybe that's the way England want to play. Let's, you know, let's see, not really sure how they want to play England, to be honest. But if, you know, if, if Pope has been exposed more um, with a high defensive line, let's say, I don't know whether he might get found out. We don't know what that looks like, so we can't say either way. But I, I think he's just going to stick with Pickford because he has done for the you know for the time he's been in charge. So sadly for for Nick Pope and, and the guys behind him, I don't think they're going to get in anytime soon. Yeah, it's probably going to take a high-profile blunder for England for him to drop Pickford, isn't it? Really? Oh, he's got it. He's got it in him. So we'll see. <laughs> I have to admit, I rather naively thought West Brom might have turned a corner after they beat Sheffield United <laughs> last week, but losing five-one to Crystal Palace is not a good look, is it, Joel? It's not, but we have to sort of say that with the caveat that they were down to 10 men for, from when it was 1-1 and from large periods of the game. And West Brom were in that game until then, but to lose like that from being 10 men, you don't have to always get battered when you go down to 10 men. You are meant to try and shore it up and, and you know try and fight for what, what you've got, but Crystal Pass don't put five goals past main teams, do they? And if they're doing that to you at home, you probably should be getting prepared for the championship next season. They scored four against Leeds, though, didn't they? So that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're not we're not talking about Leeds getting relegated, are we? So, but yeah, it's 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 a strange one with with, with West Brom and Village. I I do think sort of I never thought he was going to last the season. You know, West Brom anyway, and I think West Brom's um, future in the Premier League comes down to who they next, which I think we're going to see very soon. Mm. Well, all unravelled for them when uh, Mateus Pereira was sent off for flicking his boot into Patrick Van Arnholt's chest. He originally got a yellow card, but it was upgraded to a, re- a red after the ref watched it back on the pitch side monitor. Do you, do you agree with that one, Lewis? Do you think that was fair? I, I, it's like it's kind of annoying, I think, as, to see a red card given for something so innocuous. But we all know the rules and. Mm. Just if I was if I was in the the West Brom dressing room or a West Brom fan, I'd just be furious at for Pereira for just being stupid. Yeah, like we all know, as soon as you do that, you you run the risk of getting sent off and essentially for nothing. Um, yeah, I just <clears throat> um, I just don't understand it, and I think you can't even blame sort of heat of the moment. So if it's the heat of the moment, you'd actually bother kicking it. Yeah. Not just sort of, like, it's just, it's just so, so dumb to me. Don't give the referee a decision to make. That's the golden rule, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Or an excuse to send you off. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, 17 Premier League goals for Palace this season now, though. That's three more than Arsenal. Another dig there. Sorry, Lewis. Six <laughs> more than Wolves and the same as Man City. Has the Roy Hodgson algorithm kicked in yet, Joel? Or are we still not waiting quite. for that? No, not quite. Can you remind us what the Roy Hodgson algorithm is? Where Crystal Palace will end up on the same level of wins, draws, and and uh, defeats, and pretty well, pretty much the same level in, in each column by the end of the season. Right, they will just have to accept material mediocrity because. That's what Roy Hodgson brings. <laughs> well, they're 11th in the table now, so maybe it has kicked in, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. Uh, Sheffield United lost again, courtesy of a late winner by Sheffield Wednesday fan Jamie Vardy on Sunday. That leaves the Blades with just one point, meaning they've broken the record for the worst start to a Premier League season after 11 games. Can you tell me who previously held that record, either of you? Derby? It's not Derby. Lewis? No, I don't know. It's Manchester City. season which was my first season that I properly remember as a City fan so if anyone (laughs) if anyone ever accuses me of being a glory hunter you can stick that in your pipe and smoke it Um, and and City were relegated that year it looks like Sheffield United are going to be relegated as well doesn't it Lewis it does but they I I still think they could get away with it just because um, they're not the only ones that have had a terrible, terrible start. <laughs> yeah. um, you think one point from 11 games and they're two wins away from not being in the relegation zone is just a bit mad. Um, and that's all it takes is is a couple of wins. Obviously, it's very, very hard to see where a win might come from at the moment. 
But they weren't bad here against Leicester. They lost, you know, narrowly the last couple of games. Um, I think they lost narrowly only as well to, to Liverpool and Man City. You start to wonder where they're going to win, but it, it would only take a couple of wins, you know, one a lucky bounce of a ball and then maybe a, one good performance. And they're right there with, with Fulham and Burnley and West Brom again. So I... I wouldn't say it's it's sort of done yet, but that, that first win is going to have to come soon. Ollie McBurney got his first goal of the season. Rian Brewster is still waiting for his goal. And if Oliver Burke is the answer, I don't know what the question is. <laughs> it, it, it seems they've been found out, doesn't it, Joel? Do you think they should have anticipated that over the summer and done something about it? I don't know what they could do over the summer because they had such a good season and I'm, I'm, I'm playing in a sort of quite unique way um, unique setup, uh, set up unique setup and unique formation <laughs> um, so I, I'm not quite sure what they could have prepared for I mean I, I guess the, the obvious answer to that question is they should have maybe tried to buy a striker who's going to score you 10 to 15 goals so, but then every club in the league probably needs one of them uh, and uh, Rian Brewster probably you know they, they're putting a lot of faith in him to, by spending money they did and I'm not sure he maybe is the striker they need because he's a young lad who's not played many minutes in the in the Premier League. Um, but it's it, it's a weird one with them. It, it, you know, they are like you know, two wins away, like Lewis said, from getting out of it. But I, I kind of think this this result and the, the context of this result has maybe just put the nail in the coffin for them because I kind of just feel the one one I heard to Leicester just maybe play out for the draw and and, and take the points and and, and get another point on the board and. Obviously, they are desperate for the win, and, and they probably felt they could probably get it. But to be that high up when you've got Jamie Vardy behind them, um, it's it's just ridiculous. That, that late on in the game was just ridiculous. And I think if if they got out this with a draw, okay, it wouldn't be perfect, but they could maybe just you know regroup and go go again. But now it's another defeat, and it tells another story, mm. and it's another um, loss to get to try and regroup from. And I, I just think that maybe they're just getting that used to losing now. I I struggle to see how they get out of it. I really mm. do. Yeah, do you think that uh, that winning goal was the archetypal Jamie Vardy goal, Lewis? I feel like I thought this watching it. I feel like we don't really see that anymore. Obviously, he's a bit older and he's not quite as quick as he was. And mm. Teams defend deeper, maybe against Leicester because they respect them a bit more. But that was, you know, most of his goals are from penalties or crosses. Now, that was like. 2016 flashbacks seeing him racing onto that ball yeah. from, from James Madison um, and the the run was great so I'm not sure um, which Sheffield United defender it was but even. before Vardy even reached the ball and touched the ball he just ran straight across yeah. um, Chris yeah. Basham or John Egan not sure um, and he just completely took him out of the game and it, you know maybe you could say he should have tripped him outside the box it's the last minute red card so what um, but obviously defender's instinct is just sort of stop and stick your arms in the air to show that you didn't touch him with your legs for some mm. reason. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the the run is just, I think that's the, the finish was great. The the movement's good, but that little run across the defender, that was, you know, like the very typical striker, what a striker should be doing as soon as they get with through on goal or they're running across a defender that space opens up it's brilliant mm. and his uh, his corner flag smashing celebration was also one to watch for any budding vandalists at home wasn't it <laughs> really <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday fan really yeah. came out in that yeah. moment I he, think he really showed that corner flag who's who there didn't he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you to Adrian Ramsing for sending me a brilliant Brendan Rodgers fraudometer meme after this game um, Leicester up to fourth in the table now though can't say fairer than that really can you Joel no, he's not a fraud, is he? He's, no, a, no. he's, a, he's a football manager genius. I mm. think Leicester deserves to be where they are as well. They're getting some, you know, some great results. And what they've done as well is that they've recovered from two big setbacks, which I thought, you know, the, the criticism of Rodgers is that he can't handle it when it goes very well. He can't turn the tide very quickly, but he's lost to Liverpool. And that loss to Fulham last week, I was licking my lips because I was thinking, this is it, this is Rodgers, this is Leicester. But, you know, they're going on a downward spiral, but. And they've gone and got a very good result there in, in the last minute. And, and, you know, maybe Brendan Rodgers is a grown-up after all. <laughs> uh, well, in the final game of the weekend, if you call it the weekend, Brighton won one. Uh, so, 
Southampton won 2-1 away at Brighton on Monday evening. I didn't see this game, um, but I looked at Twitter at some point and there was a lot of end of days VAR chat going on on Twitter. Um, I saw the incident back, it was a bit of a joke, but do you know what? We're not going to talk about it this week because I can't be bothered. I'm just <laughs> sick of it. I'm just sick of having the same conversation about it every week. So let's just say good win for Southampton and leave it there, I think, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, on that uh, on that note, we'll leave it there for this week. That's all we've got time for. I've been Dan Burke. Thank you to Lewis Ambrose and Joel sanderson Murray for joining me. Technical hiccups permitting, Ian McCourt will be back talking all things Champions League on Thursday. And we'll be back for another episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast next Tuesday. So we'll see you next time. say that City were relegated on the final day of the season in 95-96 as well so you know it could, it could all go down to that yeah indeed yeah yeah um, they, they got relegated with uh, Niall Quinn took the ball to no it wasn't Niall Quinn it was Steve Lomas took the ball to the corner flag because they were drawing 2-2 with Liverpool and they thought it was over they thought a draw would be enough and uh, they got word from the crowd that no it wasn't enough so Niall Quinn sprinted down the touchline and told them no it's not enough and uh, yeah, it was just just a fucking joke, basically. Yeah, that's that's quite tragic. Quite a tragic <laughs> way to go down. But it's also the most Man City way, isn't it? Man, Man yeah. City of old, um, the way that they could possibly, I think, relegate you. <laughs>